So now we're going to ban Dr. Seuss. Banning Dr. Seuss and censorship. That's what we're talking about on this episode of the Driving with Rob podcast. Banning Dr. Seuss. I'm sure by now you have heard about this. They're not actually banning Dr. Seuss. It's Dr. Seuss Enterprises has decided that they're no longer going to publish certain books. Well, one of the books that they're not going to publish anymore is called I Saw It on Mulberry Street. And if you have children, I'm sure at one time or another, they have read it, you have read it to them, or someone else has read it to them. Well, this is one of the books that they've decided that they no longer want to publish. And this is Dr. Seuss Enterprises or Seuss Enterprises, whatever the name of this organization is. It's the people that have control over all the Dr. Seuss books. And according to Forbes magazine, Dr. Seuss is the second highest grossing deceased celebrity, surpassed only by Michael Jackson. Dr. Seuss is still very, very popular. But I didn't do a ton of research into why these books were banned, but I did look at a couple of things because I... I wanted to know what the deal was. And like I say, it's not banned. They're just not going to publish them anymore. And whoever the organization is that has the recommended reading list for children uh, has decided to no longer list these books as recommended reading, even for small children, even though it's aimed at small children. But to think I saw it on Mulberry Street, that's one of the books that they're banning. I keep using that word ban. They're not banning it. They're just no longer going to publish it. But I'm very familiar with this book. We read it to our kids. I wanted to find out what what was it that was was so uh, offensive in this book that you they decided that they no longer wanted to publish it. Well, apparently it is racially insensitive to Asian people. And I thought to myself, how is this racially insensitive to Asian people, to any people? Well, according to the people in charge of the Dr. Seuss books and what gets published and what doesn't get published, what they said was, in one point in the book, an Asian man is depicted as having slanted eyes and eating with chopsticks. Oh, and he has the the round rice farmer hat. Well, I thought to myself, how is this racially insensitive? Is it racially insensitive when National Geographic takes an actual photograph of people with the round rice farmer hats with slanted eyes eating with chopsticks? If you take an actual photograph, is it racially insensitive then? It's so stupid. Because I guarantee you that Asian people, Chinese people, don't care. And I can 100% guarantee you that the kids don't care. But there is some yuppie Asian American who found this offensive and complained to the Dr. Seuss Enterprises people. They're not depicting Asian Americans. It's a nonsense children's story about an actual Chinese person. Not a Chinese American. Not someone who is third generation American of Asian descent person 
driving a Lexus to his Silicon Valley job every day. No, they're not saying that's you. They're not saying that all Asian people look like that. They're saying that guy look like that. Number one, I don't think it's offensive at all. Number two, I don't see how you could think it was offensive. Well, and there's another book. I forget which book it was, but it's one of the books that deals with the zoo. Well, the kids went to the zoo, and the zookeeper invites the kids to go with him to Africa to go find more animals for the zoo. Well, two of the African natives are depicted as shirtless, barefoot savages carrying white people on their shoulders as they look for these animals. And again, we're not talking about African Americans. We're not even talking about the more civilized countries like Nigeria or the game wardens in Kenya. This is a children's story about going into deepest, darkest Africa to find animals for the zoo. And these African natives are depicted as African natives. And again, if National Geographic shows you a photograph, that's not offensive. But in a children's book, it's offensive. It's ridiculous, is what it is. And it's also called Cancel Culture. See, these books have been out for about 60, 70 years now. And just like tearing down statues and tearing down memorials and changing the name of your high school because the man it was named for 150, 200 years ago was a slave owner, it has nothing to do with today. You decided to make it have something to do with today. You decided that today you'd become offended by it. For the last hundred years, nobody was offended by it. But now you are. And just a word on the United States of the offended. If you are that easily offended, you're the one with the problem. But anyway, well, like I said at the, at the beginning of the show, they're not banning these books. They're just not going to publish these books anymore. And these are not some of the better-selling Dr. Seuss books like Cat in the Hat. You know, but I saw it on Mulberry Street. That's a pretty popular book. They still sell some of these. But here's the problem. It comes down to censorship. Now, let me just say up front, I am not against censorship. There are definitely things that need to be censored. If there is a traffic accident on I-77, and they're showing it on the 6 o'clock news, I don't need to see a bloody mangled body laying on the side of the road. If you tell me somebody died in this traffic accident, I'm just going to take your word for it. You don't need to show that on TV. Yeah, go ahead and censor bloody, gory, disturbing images. That does need to be censored. Sexually explicit material should not be available to anyone under 18 according to the law if you're over 18 it's okay but you have to censor it from regular general population viewing because it is unsuitable for younger viewers and yes it should be censored what shouldn't be censored is something that offends you just because something is offensive to you 
doesn't mean that it needs to be banned or that it needs to be censored. See, here's the problem. At what point are you protecting the public but moving into denying someone else's freedom of speech? The problem with censorship is it's very subjective. The people doing the censoring get to decide what's to be censored and what's okay. And the thing is, a lot of times they don't just want it banned. They want it eradicated, completely removed from the historical record like it never happened. But these same people are the first ones to protest when you want to ban something of theirs. And their go-to defense is freedom of speech. See, if you ban something today because you personally find it offensive, then next week, next year, after the next election, all of a sudden what you thought was not only proper but should be promoted is now found to be offensive by the new people in charge of who gets to choose what's censored and what's not. See, once you set that precedent, once you open that door to say the censors get to censor whatever they decide should be censored, what are you going to say when they want to censor you? But that's the problem with censorship. It's subjective. But see, once you crack that door open and you say, this offends me, therefore, I can get it banned. I don't care how many other people like it and aren't offended by it. I'm offended by it. Therefore, it has to go. So what are you going to do when somebody says they're offended by Christianity? And they're already doing it. You remember the story not too long ago of a courthouse. I don't even remember what state it was in. I want to say it was in Alabama somewhere. But they had a stone monument out in front of the courthouse that had the Ten Commandments on it. Well, it's in front of the courthouse. And these are the earliest recorded laws were the Ten Commandments from the Old Testament, from the book of Exodus. Of course, it's appropriate for a courthouse lawn. But somebody, some atheist, went to court and said, this is promoting a religion using public grounds and public money, and I find it offensive, therefore it has to go. And I'm pretty sure they took the monument down. And see, now they're wanting to take down the statues of Confederate generals. They're wanting to eradicate any history at all. A hundred years ago, these statues weren't offensive. Fifty years ago, they weren't offensive. Today, they're offensive. And they have to come down. When people say that a statue of Robert E. Lee promotes slavery, no, it doesn't. It does no such thing. In 1861, Robert E. Lee was the most respected military leader in America. He met with Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln wanted him to take command of the Union forces to put down this rebel uprising of these states wanting to leave the Union. And Robert E. Lee said, as a loyal patriot, that he would do it unless Virginia votes to secede from the Union. I will not take up arms against fellow Virginians. But nobody remembers that that was Abraham Lincoln's first choice 
as supreme commander of all the Union forces in 1861. Now you're offended by it because it represents slavery. You have to be very careful when you start banning things just because you're offended by them. See, being offended by it doesn't mean that it needs to be censored. And the second danger of censorship, and not just censorship, but completely eradicating something because you think it's offensive, and the danger of the cancel culture and the revisionist history. See, if you forget what happened, if you forget the attitudes that people used to have, no matter how negative you think it is, if you forget that it ever happened, and you sweep it under the rug like it never happened, it's going to repeat. Maybe not in the next 20 years, maybe not in the next 50 years. But at some point, once you completely erase that history because you found it offensive, now people really have to dig hard and dig deep to find out what was wrong with it when they want to try it again. See, we don't know how to build the pyramids. And you think, what's that got to do with censorship? Well, it doesn't. But it does have to do with cancel culture and revisionist history. We don't know how they built the pyramids. They built the pyramids 5,000 years ago. Everybody who knows how they did it died thousands and thousands of years ago. And now we don't know how they did it. Because nobody wrote it down, and everybody who knew how died. And how many decades and millions of dollars in expense has been wasted trying to figure out how they did it? Because once that history is gone, it's gone. And I'm sure the people who built the pyramids thought to themselves, well, we don't need to write it down. Everybody knows how to build a pyramid. Everybody knows how to make light without electricity. Everybody knows how to get enough water to survive when there are no pumps. Everybody knows how to build a fire. Once you forget that history, generations from now, maybe thousands of years from now, nobody remembers how you did it, why you did it, why people felt the way they felt, why people thought this was okay. Because now you have erased all that history. So the moral of the story is be careful what you censor. Be careful what history you erase. You found it personally offensive. But a hundred years from now, when somebody comes across an ancient copy of To Think I Saw It on Mulberry Street, they're going to be asking themselves, why did they stop publishing this book? This is a great little book. This would be a great book to encourage imagination and to teach my kids how to read. And that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. I appreciate you listening. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for being a subscriber. If you haven't subscribed already, just click on the subscribe button. It doesn't obligate you to anything but it'll let you know and send you a notification every time I upload a new episode and you'll never miss out. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks again for listening. I'll talk to you next time. Bye now.